Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, oh, oh boy, I got to tell you, uh, we did this episode uh, in what was it, July of 2015, and it's an episode that unfortunately remains prescient in the modern day. Uh, we've we've looked at all kinds of, of terrible things that happened in wars of the past, and uh, in this episode, we got together and we said, well, what's the next war going to be about? Even Even the young versions of us, the younger versions of us, you guys, assumed there would be another big war. I mean, I'm still waiting for it. <laughs> it just feels like we've been kind of constantly perma at war uh, to the point where it's just kind of like, you know, the order of the day. Uh, I think that's largely because it doesn't really affect us at our doorsteps. But uh, who knows? That one could be coming. The big question in this episode, I think, is could a worldwide war occur again? A large scale hot war with powers that have nuclear weapons and other forms of weaponry that could annihilate everyone at any given moment. And what would be the spark? As the owl from the Tootsie Roll Pop commercial says, let's find out. From UFOs to ghosts and government cover-ups, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello. And welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. And I am Ben. We are here with our super producer, Noel the Kaiser Brown. Noel the Kaiser as in a role? As, as in a, a political figure. Okay. All right. You Just know. wanted to make sure. 
He's a, he's a commanding personality. You know, Noel, I could see you with some epaulets. Uh, on, on your, uh, I guess we're wearing a t-shirt Yeah, today, I don't see any still, yet. We go for it. Epaulettes on a t-shirt, not a bad idea. Hey, Ben. Hey, Matt. You're probably wondering, uh, why are you guys just talking about Noel's t-shirt? Well, it's because we're in a pretty good mood. Before we jump into the show today, we have a special announcement. That's right. Ben and I, unfortunately, Noel won't be joining us this time, but Ben and I are going to Washington, D.C. That's right. Mm -hmm. The District of Columbia. Yeah, we're going to uh, broadcast a few shows live via Periscope. Uh, we're going to film some other stuff as well. Here's the thing, folks. We'd like your help. What should we explore? Let us know about any places we should visit, people we should talk to. And you know what, Matt? I'll go ahead and say it. I hope we don't regret it. Uh, listeners, if you're in the area, feel free to uh, drop by and say hello at some point. You You'll know? find us walking around the mall mm -hmm. or maybe in some seedy part of town that... Uh you know, nobody wants to know about. But probably has the best pizza. Oh, that's how I mean, cities definitely. Work. Uh, so what, uh, what we'll do is, uh, we'll post this on our social media as well. We're conspiracy stuff at Facebook and Twitter. Uh, if you want to just, if you'd rather type to us on the social medias, then yeah. you can do that. But, uh, you can also write to us directly. We've got our email address, uh, conspiracy at howstuffworks.com. I just want to em emphasize that this is not a formal, we won't be doing formal shows on Periscope. It will be Ben and I kind of hanging out and doing some of our, you know, conspiracy material, discussing something that's going on, but it's not going to be, I don't know, it's not going to be the same. It's going to be much more informal. Hey, yeah, we might, uh, we might get arrested. On the, uh, <laughs> Who knows? What happens if we get arrested on Periscope? Can the, can the cops take the phone? Just do yell, think? don't tase me, bro, and try and keep filming as long as possible. Yeah. Well, it's going to be an adventure either way. That's for sure. Uh, we'll have more details as we, uh, get closer to this, but, uh, stay tuned. Our, uh, road trip will be beginning. So let's get to the, the show, the topic for this week. Uh, this year, 2015, marks the 70th anniversary of the conclusion of World War II, which is generally acknowledged to have uh, occurred on September 2nd, 1945. So this coming September, hopefully, you, I, uh, Matt, Noel, your, your families, your loved ones, even your frenemies can look around and say, hey, 70 years without a world war. We did it, man. Go team. Yeah, go team indeed. Well, in, in fact, this right now is the most peaceful, peaceful time on Earth in the history of the world. Yeah, in recorded human, human history. Yeah, but we're not saying it, everything's amazing. No, no, no. And, and a lot of people probably want to hear some information about that. I think we mentioned it in the video this week. Because uh, we did, we did just one video on some possible causes of World War III, and we mentioned this most peaceful time in history thing, uh, and that seems like a bomb to drop. So, evolutionary psychologist Steven Pinker believes that violence has declined since the beginning of the human race, and when he's talking about violence, he isn't just referring to war. Large-scale violence. He also talks about criminal punishment, murder rates, other stuff like that. And because we have stable governments, in theory, providing uh, mediation and deterring conflict, because technology has given us uh, a, a several 
wildly different ways to interact with each other and to take care of ourselves because of advancements in healthcare, uh, because it's possible to talk to someone all the way across the world. You know, you can yeah. l- literally send a message to someone in Vietnam and just say, sup. Yeah. And, and all these things are great. I can imagine the listener and somewhat myself sitting here and going, really the most peaceful time in the world? Cause you just, you think about all of the globe, the conflicts that are happening across the globe right now and all of the murder. You think about murder rates in the U.S. and you're like, yeah. man, how is this possible? But you just have to think it's been so much worse. Just, it, I, I, it's a horrible word, but. I was going to say civilized because there's such connotation with that word, but right. just that we humans tend to walk around being rather civilized to one another nowadays, uh, largely. Yeah, and right. I can just, you can just imagine well back in the day, there was a little less of that. Well, sure. And it still does occur, of course. You know, you made a great point earlier. This is not to say that things are perfect by any means. Uh, there are more slaves in absolute number than there have ever been before. Ugh. Another uh, another horrible statistic about slavery, which we're going to cover in uh, some future episodes. Mm-hmm. Another horrible statistic about slavery is that it is also now adjusted for inflation cheaper to buy a person than it has ever been before, which is just a horrifying thing. Uh, Wildlife, it's no secret, is undergoing a mass extinction, a massive extinction. um, And, you know, the oceans are acidifying. Right. They're collapsing (laughs) ecosystems and uh, people are often, you know, listener, I guess it depends on where you are based, but people are often arguing about this in relatively small-minded political terms. Yes, uh, money it, a lot of times. Sure, money money is a motivating factor. And, of course, there's still uh, crushing poverty. Mm-hmm. But even with all that, even with all those disastrous things, you listening to this by virtue of being alive right now, if you're listening to this when it comes out, right? Yes. Then, then you are actually in pole position. You are in a very good time in human history. And we asked this week, Matt, you and I asked this week, how, how long is this gonna, how long were we gonna be able to ride this one out? Yeah, we made 70 years. Can we make 70 and a half? Mm-hmm. 71 even? I don't know. It, Here's the thing. A lot of people believe the likelihood of this massive world scale war, the next one. Uh huh. A lot of people believe that this next massive world scale war, there's a very little likelihood that it's going to actually happen because of several things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to get into a lot of them, but you know, just off the top of your head, you can think about, well, there are a lot of nukes and you know, when there are a lot of nukes and a lot of different powers that have them, generally nobody is going to be lobbing one around. Right. The uh, nuclear deterrence theory. Sure. that That's a huge one. Uh, another reason this might not happen is because we all of these countries that are generally at odds with one another, at least politically, are trading and are dependent on one another to get their goods and sometimes even their services. There's uh, what else, Ben? Well, uh, additionally, it's, uh, it, it is arguably more difficult to stir up the domestic population 
of a country because these domestic populations, with a few notable exceptions, are are much more likely to be informed about other areas of the world. Ah. So it, it can be a little bit more difficult to think of a group of other human beings as just these faceless things you're supposed to bomb. Ah, are you talking about some form of institutionalized racism to help a group of soldiers, maybe, yeah, kill that, their opponents? Right, that used to happen, and that still does occur uh, you know, in, in modern times and in most countries during mm-hmm. wartime, that kind of othering. That's a, it's a very interesting psychological propaganda thing. But I would argue that what is more important is uh, the nature of interstate alliances. Gotcha. E- every country is in like a gang or a clique or several. You know, you've got the, the non-aligned countries before the uh, fall of Libya um, who – didn't want to play ball with various Western institutions. I don't think that's a secret. Uh, then you have, you know, you have OPEC, which is a, primarily a commodity-based organization, right? They're mm-hmm. trading oil. And you have NATO, which is uh, kind of like a bunch of people who, before they went out to a bar one night, said, listen, guys, if something goes down. I got your back. We all have to jump yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, okay? yeah. And then, you know, even. Wow, that is kind of like NATO. <laughs> it's oh, exa- well, okay. So I'll, I'll do what might be a, um, a little bit of a crass analogy about international affairs. And this is, this is very, um, simplified. Okay. So here goes the idea of international relations, international affairs, uh, can be thought of through the analogy of a house party, a crowded house party. Okay. 193, 190-something, depending on, I guess, your ideology and yes. what, what you allow to be a country. Uh, almost 200 people show up to this house party, some later than others, some earlier than others, and they are under the impression that they're going to have a great time, but they find out that there is less beer than they thought there was going to be. Oh, no. And, and toilet paper. Right. And somebody somebody is already like king of the kegs. And yeah. then other people are in line and uh, maybe they're playing musical chairs. Let's up the stakes. What I'm saying is in this analogy, there are there's a finite amount of resources and uh, a finite amount of influence. And so beer, toilet paper, whatever, pretzels, you can use that to fill in for anything sure. else. And uh, you can either get yeah. those the beer and pretzels by being a smooth talker or mm-hmm. giving the person maybe, I don't know, a couple ping pong balls so they can play beer pong. Sure. So you trading. get the pretzels. Yeah. I like this analogy. Who's, whose house is it? Uh, right now, it would be a world, it, I guess in this analogy right now, the, there are a couple answers we could do, Matt. One would, <laughs> one would be like, well, the house doesn't belong to anybody, man. Of course you know? not, man. It's like Earth. It's house. always been there. You can't, like, tame the wind, bruh. <laughs> um, but then another argument would be that the house would belong to whomever was the reigning superpower, which would make it Uncle Sam's house. Oh, wow. Currently. And I, I don't. I don't think that either of those are a completely sustainable answer because, again, it's yeah. not the best analogy. Yeah. But anyway, that's that's the point. Because of these alliances, because of these agreements, uh, nation states or countries or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. them uh, have a higher cost or higher risk of going to war. You know? Yes. The idea of attacking France or something mm-hmm. uh, a century, centuries and centuries ago uh, or – earlier in time before NATO was much more feasible 
even if it would be a bad idea, was much more feasible because it didn't automatically mean that the continent of Europe is going to attack you. Yes. You know? It's like one bee versus a hive. So those are arguments for why the likelihood is lower. Uh, but, of course, there are pundits who believe that it's higher than ever before due to several recent events, right? Yeah, lots of recent events. But I would also just throw in there at the mm-hmm. end of what you were talking about with these alliances that sometimes those alliances – I would say make it more likely that you have to respond if you are a, let's say you're not the person being postured against or even attacked, but you are the posse of that place or, you know, person in our analogy that's sure, being postured sure. against. You have to then flex up and at least, at least, you know, stand in the doorway and watch what's happening with a threat. Right. So I don't know. I, I think it's, it's a weird, it's a, such a strange thing, international politics and and foreign policy and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So there are all these things happening. One that we've looked at is Ukraine. Right. Yeah. The uh, annexation of Crimea by Russia. Yes. Uh, that is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. A mm-hmm. lot of people are looking at that and feel that it's going to have much larger consequences down the road. Not that it hasn't already had huge consequences for the people of that area. Right. Yeah. The, the, Issues there, and we, we can get into some of the conspiratorial stuff about this later too. But the, the issue in that case, uh, being that for a while Russia was saying, uh, these are just random, regular Joe Q publics from, uh, Ukraine, and they just, they're separating from yeah, Ukraine. They just got it, really good, whatever those tactical units are. It's regional fine. instability. Yeah. Kind of reminded me of that. Um, this is a deep cut. But remember that Shaggy song? It wasn't me. <laughs> What's that one? Is that what reminded you? Yeah, it kind of reminded me. Yeah, I can't yeah. even do it. It's like a frog voice. Former Marine, that guy. Interestingly Whoa. enough, yeah. Anyhow, so yeah, Crimea. We've got that. That is that is a huge thing. That's probably one of the most well known things. Uh, we also have the South China Sea. Mm-hmm. That's another recent event that people are concerned about. And then, of course, there's the Islamic State. Uh, and then there is the possibility of nuclear Korea, everybody's favorite geopolitical wild card, right? Nuclear Iran, of course, people are talking about, or right. pundits are talking about that in mm-hmm. politicians mm-hmm. a lot. Right. And so because of these increasing tensions in these, in these, uh, various different fields, it's leading people and, and smart people. Yes. Um, People at nonprofit think tanks, professors from the academy and, and military strategists to estimate that where a few years ago people would have said that a war is impossible, a large scale world war is impossible. Now it's no longer impossible. So it's kind of like moving from a green light to a yellow light. Yeah. So we wanted to look at how this would happen, where this would happen and See whether there's any stuff they don't want you to know when it comes to World War III. So in the video that came out this week, we looked at three flashpoints is what we called them. Places where a conflict that is somewhat smaller on a global scale then just gets ratcheted up and everybody gets involved. Mm -hmm. The first one of those was a situation currently going on between Russia and many of the states of NATO. NATO itself, mm-hmm. actually. So the North Atlantic Treaty Organization has been, at least in Russia's opinion, encroaching on some of their territory and pulling some states or countries 
that were former Soviet states mm-hmm. into the fold of NATO. Right. And, yep. and, you know, it, it's one of those things where nobody likes it when you're encroaching on their territory. If you ever played Command and Conquer or any of these <laughs> games, uh, you just, you, you shouldn't do it. It's, it's a fighting move. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, Russia is objecting to a lot of NATO's encroachment, like we said. Right. Um, so Russia doesn't like what NATO is doing. But what we should say here is that while NATO is this primary organization that's kind of poking it at Russia, mm-hmm. the U.S. is really Russia's primary concern, primary, I, I don't want to say rival. enemy, rival, right. So we, yeah, it's it, and it's interesting that you say that because it reminds me of an episode that we did earlier. Some longtime listeners may remember this. We asked, uh, what if the Cold War never ended? And there's a very, I will say very intriguing theory. I'm not sure how sold I am on it that, of course, uh, Vladimir Putin being a former KGB man, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps this, this idea, which is pretty wild, is that the KGB never really ended at the downfall of the Soviet Union, it just went underground and prepared for a long con. Yeah, the long deception, I think, is the name of the video yeah, we made about it. Yeah, yeah, And uh, that's the stuff of spy films, of political thrillers. But the one thing that is true, whether or not you think the Cold War ended, is that uh, the U.S. and Russia, for several reasons, in a few, in a couple of very specific areas, are the two big rival superpowers. One in particular, the most dangerous. It's safe to say that neither of these countries or these organizations, if you want to just say mm-hmm. NATO, uh, want a war, but both see the other as an aggressive, potentially destabilizing and dangerous force. So, this this is something that we hear about a lot whenever uh, domestic propaganda starts ramping up, which is legal in the U.S. now. It, <laughs> it sh- is. It used to not be. <laughs> Yeehaw. Uh, but uh, whenever there's domestic propaganda being whipped up for, a, like, anti-Russian mm-hmm. or anti-Iran or anti-whatever, uh, then one thing that we hear about is uh, the, the U.S. as the good guy attempting to contain or liberate, contain uh, a, a dangerous country or liberate the people of a country or an area, stuff like that. From this regime that is just bad. Oh, yeah. And that's how we've said that before. That's how you can always tell uh, how how you're supposed to feel about a government. Cause how, how they're, what they're called, I yeah, guess. Yeah. If they're a regime, then the idea is that they need to be overthrown. If it's an administration, they're just doing a darn they're good job so playing legit. along. Yeah, dude. yeah. If they're the government, then that's fine too. Yeah. It'll be but right. Watch out for regime. Oof. If anybody refers to something you're doing as a regime, be very <laughs> careful. Uh, Get out. Get out I, now. I don't know if people do that. <laughs> I don't know if you can refer to something as like the, this, uh, yeah, I don't know. The regime at this Bennigan's is intolerable. The, the <laughs> Ellen Powell regime. The, ooh, ooh, Reddit jokes, huh? All right. All right. So, uh, <laughs> sorry. It's fine. I, I, I still don't entirely know what that's about, but I did see that Reddit was shut down for a few hours, several subreddits. Nothing to see there. Nothing to see there. Continue on. Don't look behind the curtain. Everything's fine. Okay. Well, then we, I uh, will take your word for it. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's look at this from a different perspective. Okay. And, and this is something that um, you'll you'll see people post online when they, when they describe Russia or Iran or or some other country that has a lot of tension with the West. Uh, they'll usually have a map of all the U.S. bases at the border or in adjacent countries, mm-hmm. right? So imagine if there were some sort of independent South American alliance that was very powerful, a South American NATO, in other okay. words. And things like this exist, but, I mean, with that amount of firepower, right? Imagine it began overthrowing regimes in Central America, you know, working its way up, Honduras, Belize, Guatemala, all the other stuff. And then it 
began positioning troops along the Mexican border, right? Of the United States. Yes, the U.S. would the U.S. would react adversely, to say the least. And also, just as a side note, yes, it is true that the U.S. is historically the primary force for coups in South and Central America. Yes, what Ben says is unfortunately true. Yeah, well, we've, you know, we've got some episodes about some of that, specifically, uh, the 1954 coup in Guatemala. Uh, yeah, that was one. We looked at Venezuela. We looked mm-hmm. at a couple other places and the School of the Americas doesn't help. Right. Oh, yeah, we did look at Venezuela too. So, uh, this, the, Russia is withering currently under some sanctions and Saudi Arabia's, uh, lowering of fossil fuel oil prices has dealt a heavy blow to Russia's economy, which depends upon energy exports. Iran is also not doing so well either. While this has weakened Russia, the population of the country is massively in favor of Vladimir Putin. I know, oh, yeah. it's, I know it sounds like the elections are fixed and maybe they are, but people are honestly on board with this guy. They at least seem to be. They at least seem to be. And additionally, when these sanctions, which were, you know, designed to weaken Russia, they, they have worked. They're, they have made an impact, but there was a side effect here. Yes, that, that may prove to be pretty severe. We'll find out. Uh, Russia made friends with other countries, non-Western countries, that they weren't I, – well, I guess they were always cooperating a bit with China – and some of these other countries, but they became pretty close with Syria, Iran, and most importantly, China. Right. Yeah. And the, those countries still all have their tensions. They're all looking out for themselves. But this kind of sanctioning uh, or attempted isolation from the West can bring other countries into a sort of the rival of my rival is my friend oh, yeah. situation. Uh, so. There are numerous regional proxy conflicts between Russia and the West. This is absolutely not a secret. This is happening more or less continually, right? Mm -hmm. There's a cycle to it uh, throughout history. Uh, The most well-known, as we said, currently occurs in Ukraine. This, This means that there are several different ways that regional tensions could turn into a world war in Ukraine. So, for example... We found this great article on Vox.com that show, that kind of walks us through the scenario where something could happen in Estonia. Uh, this is a flowchart by a guy named Max Fisher, who we'll reference later, and Javier Zaracina. And this is pretty recent, uh, but most of the people who do war games or work on scenarios here in the West, uh, when they think of the idea of a war between the U.S. and Russia – Oddly enough, it starts in Estonia. Because uh, and just for some reference, if you don't know where Estonia is, mm-hmm. uh, if you think of the map and you can find Finland, it is just below south of Finland across the Baltic Sea um, and on the border of Russia. Russia is to the east. Yes. And because it's part of NATO, that means the U.S. and most of Europe are obligated to defend it from any attack, and uh, NATO has shipped military equipment there to deter possible Russian aggression. Estonia, as you know, was part of the Soviet Union. NATO's fear is that uh, Russia could attempt to motivate the the Estonians' Russian population to become separatist or yep. to want to organize with Russia, kind of like what happened in eastern Ukraine. Much in the same way, at least 
that's what appears to have happened in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And the danger here is that this regional violence, because again, it encounter it, it factors in or it draws in rather NATO itself and the U.S. that this could spiral out of control in from a regional conflict into. A, a full war. One thing that's interesting about the way these scenarios often work out is that most of these scenarios factor in the concept that an accident would happen, something unforeseen, something innocent. Well, maybe innocent's the wrong word, but something not purposeful, like a midair collision, a bomb is deployed in the wrong place, a military exercise gets out of control, which are already kind of dangerous games to begin with. Yeah. Uh, but when that happens, if there's that failure to communicate, then it could become a incredibly dangerous situation very, very quickly. So this flowchart is really good, you guys. Make sure you head on over to Vox.com and give it a look. It's It's just neat and terrifying to see this written out the way that it is because the whole thing – at least beginning of it hinges on how NATO would react to uh, protests from the Estonian people. From the ethnic Russian from, population. From the ethnic Russian population, but just how they would react to this. So either way that, uh, I, either way that NATO handles this, you know, of course Moscow would react. So mm -hmm. the protest might dissipate and lead to peace, which would be ideal. Moscow might warn, uh, however, of impending genocide and, and fire up the protesters more. The clashes could start to lead to violence, and then uh, the U.S. would have a reaction or NATO would have a reaction, right? Yeah, and then that can lead you all the way down to then uh, Germany getting involved, mm -hmm. other NATO countries getting involved. Uh, it's really crazy. It, it just hops down to then there's war between Russia and Estonia and ultimately NATO. Mm -hmm. Um, then NATO invades parts of Russia. I mean, it's crazy. It just goes through all of these possible things to the limited nuclear war that might happen with small right. tactic nukes. Right. Uh, and it's so much, it's, there's a lot of detail. We probably won't be able to go into all of it. No, you'll have to check it out, but then there, there will be a, a constant give and take of calculations that would lead from a limited war. Uh, and, and this looks at the possibilities of, uh, of large scale nuclear deployment. One of the more dangerous things being that, uh, Russia could deploy the dead hand system or it could be triggered yep. rather by a massive attack against the country. Or uh, this is also frightening that Russia could lose control over its nuclear weapons and they could end up somewhere else, which we'll talk about a little bit further. Uh, the end result then being the possibility of a full-on nuclear exchange where um, counterattacks and attacks uh, leave much of the world incredibly damaged and civilization as we know it is, is uh, if not destroyed – profoundly damaged. <laughs> yeah, we're now in fallout. Okay, so uh, why why all this tension? What gives? Uh, from the Russian point of view, the U.S. is attempting to establish a hegemony, make Russia like a client state, beholden mm -hmm. to Western institutions, uh, both the government kind and the corporate kind. But from the Western perspective, uh, bordering countries, Eastern European countries, NATO members, and so on, need to be protected from Russian expansionism. And both sides have some valid points there. Uh, but the single most dangerous possibility in this conflict is uh, is the one that everybody thinks of when you think of World War III. 
Yeah, the, the nuclear option. The nuclear option is the most dangerous one that currently exists on this planet. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a messed up and real possibility. Yeah, it's not a, it's not as, um, apparent or uh, inevitable a possibility as some fear mongers would have us think. But here's the deal of the countries that have nuclear weapons. Openly have nuclear weapons. Openly. Right. Yeah, because it's such a secret. But of the countries that do have nuclear weapons and admit having them, the U.S. and Russia control 95% of the world's nuclear arsenal. Yep. So they have all of the big guns. Uh, luckily, there's this, uh, this was also an article, uh, by the same writer, Max Fisher. There's a political scientist named Jay Ulfelder who estimated the probability of war to be about 11% overall with an 18% chance of either side using nuclear weapons if a war occurs. And there was only a 2% chance that this nuclear war would occur between Russia and the U.S. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, we've got a grisly comparison there too. Yeah. <laughs> Just for comparison, that is about twice the odds of you dying in a car crash. But in this car crash, everybody's in the car and yeah. everybody dies or many people die, the vast mm-hmm. majority. Uh, so that's, that's a, a little bit of a high level look at Russia. And of course, there's more there that we could spend an entire podcast on, but let's shift uh, or let's let's pivot, as governments like to say, uh, toward China, the U.S., Japan, and some of the other uh, Asian alliances Mm -hmm. in that region. So there's this comes up all the time. Matt, we've seen this for years. We did an earlier video on whether China was colonizing Africa, and China's definitely doing resource extraction there. Oh, yes, Um, Uh, on a high, a large level. Yeah, and you could argue, well, it's it's true that uh, other, like, larger companies are also doing resource extraction there, too. But this issue of China's rise as an emergent superpower, its aim to establish regional hegemony over East Asia, comes up again and again cyclically, and it's most controversial in China's disputes. Right now, it's most controversial in China's disputes over naval territory, right? Yeah, you mentioned the South China Sea, and... Like, who who owns this? Does anyone own this? Who has the right to put their military ships in this space? And, yeah, we, there's been lots and lots of conflict with that over the years, uh, a lot recently. And one of the things we found in our video is that it seems to be a popular belief, at least among the Chinese citizenry, that the uh, and some of the officials even, that there there will be a necessary war between the United States and China. Right. The idea that the U.S. is hampering China's growth, cutting it off from trade opportunities, seeking to contain the country's influence. Uh, this coincides with uh, Chinese R&D and investment in what's called asymmetrical warfare and, and then forming bilateral relationships or strengthening bilateral relationships with other countries outside of the US and there there's some great um there's some great information you can read about this that I think is fascinating but also could be scary stuff if it ever gets used well one of the things you you even noted in there is that the a lot of the citizens that have that opinion that this war will eventually be necessary believe that China would be victorious. 
Right. Yeah. And that's because the, the nature of war has mm -hmm. fundamentally changed due to technological innovations. Right now, the, the U.S., which, uh, vastly outspends every other country, uh, combined on, almost. Yeah. Yeah. On military endeavors, uh, the, the U.S. vastly outspends everyone. It has the most expensive toys and it has the biggest guns. But this does not mean that such a military is invulnerable. So there's a quote by a security analyst named Loro Horta, and uh, Horta says, China has no illusions about its military inferiority vis-a-vis -vis the U.S. and knows that the status is likely to endure for at least two decades. As such, it's been developing a full range of asymmetric strategies to deter the U.S. until its military reaches maturity. China is, you know, attempting to build carriers. Mm -hmm. um, it's reverse engineering successfully uh, several different pieces of hardware and vehicles. Uh, when we say asymmetrical warfare, what we mean is why spend uh, millions and millions and millions and maybe billions of dollars uh, preparing a carrier to fight a carrier versus carrier war when you could just design some missiles that are faster than the reaction time of the ships, right? Yeah, the defense of the ships or attack submarines or something that could take them out. Exactly, yeah. Surreptitiously. Right, so what China is working on is something that you will often hear called uh, area denial or ac denial of access. Mm -hmm. And this is just... uh this is just having stuff set up in the vicinity, perhaps in the South China Sea, for perhaps. instance, uh, that would prevent any other, uh, any approaching force from getting close enough to attack the country. So this, this would be a, a woefully uh, costly thing in terms of blood and treasure for both countries. Neither you, country you mean if, like, if the U.S. invade or if whoever tried to invade China. Right, yeah, yeah. And the U.S. currently sees control of the seas as one of the, the country's biggest insurance policies yep. for safety, right? Uh, but this, fortunately, this also, just like Russia and NATO, has a lower chance of happening, but not not maybe for the best reasons. It turns out that both the U.S. and China, if we are being candid, have some significant internal Problems, or at least things that would deter them from fighting a war. Yes, yeah, so China is dealing with several crippling problems internally that they really they need to handle first before they get into any of this uh, world war stuff. Like, let's say the po the pollution problems in the cities they're they're crippling. It's it's horrible. The citizenry's health care issue is it's a pretty dire situation there right now, and also the right. one child policy. Mm -hmm. Has had a huge effect, huge effect on the population numbers there. Yeah, just to uh, just to put a little bit of the environmental stuff in perspective, the Atlantic had an article came out in 2013. I want to say about 28,000 rivers in China that just disappeared. Yeah, that, that's not good. No, and and you know as somewhat of an emerging economy, they're having to use things like coal power, burning coal and a couple other, uh, mm -hmm. let's say, less than safe ways to make energy. Right, right. And uh, there, there are good things, too. China does lead the world currently in solar energy or solar power mm -hmm. research. Uh, but the gender ratio, sex ratio is still pretty skewed. Uh, there were, I think, 
it was something about like 120 something boys born for every 100 girls nationwide. Mm. Uh, recently that has been lowering, but, uh, it's going to be a while. It's going to be like a decade before it goes down to something a little bit more, um, on, on target. Gotcha. And that's, that's just a long-term effect of that policy. And, uh, this isn't even touching on the continuing debate about the Chinese economy. How right now the stock market is crashing, right? Like how corrupt or not corrupt it is, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, so so speaking of problems, let's switch to the U.S. The U.S. is stretched thin given the uh, wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and the, the continual operations in various places around the world. Uh, also both countries depend on one another economically. China has the power to break the world's economy, uh, so or make it if we want to be glass half full mm-hmm. people. Uh, so they're kind of at a standoff here because uh, China has a lot of its uh, finances tied up in U.S. bonds, right? And the U.S. is dependent on China for a lot of exports. So hopefully, trade can save it. Hopefully. It is uh, more advantageous for both actors in this scenario to work together and trade things. Uh, however, and this is a point that was made uh, in a in an analysis from Yale. Uh, however, in both world wars of the previous century, Germany was Britain's biggest trade partner till the war started. Yep. Uh, so. Both are clearly aiming to establish themselves. Neither country wants in a war and are incre- and both are com- increasingly competing for resources. Uh, China actually has done what I think is, is a, um, not to be flip about it, but, uh, I think it's, a, it's a pretty stylish move. Yeah. They're styling. They're styling on it. Yeah. What are they doing? Yeah. They're, they're going, they're definitely going about it in a weird way. They're actually building islands, kind of like we heard about in Dubai when they were building, uh, these much on a much smaller scale, mm-hmm. these artificial islands out there. The world and the palm and that stuff. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Well, they're building islands to support the ter- territorial claims of these areas in the South China Sea, the Spratly Islands, I believe. Yeah. 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 So this, this is a huge, uh, this is a huge issue. With China and the U.S. and other countries around there, like uh, the the Philippines ha- has recently been engaged in some ongoing tension mm-hmm. with China about its expansion and its claims regarding what what constitutes its territory versus international waters. And this is a this is a very tense thing here. Uh, so China is actually building these islands to say, no, this is. Chinese land. So, uh, given international law, this far off from Mm -hmm. these islands, not the mainland, is where uh, it belongs to our government. Yeah, you could just build one X kilometers away from each other, then you Mm -hmm. just own the whole ocean. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. 
Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we we also when we looked at this, uh, it seems like the the calculation about how or when a, a war would begin with China and the U.S. It seems to often depend on the just the current events of the time, mm-hmm. right? And you can see predictions about this stuff uh, that often can seem contradictory. Uh, one one person uh, that I would like to reference here is a guy named George Friedman. He's a geopolitical sci- a scientist, and he wrote a book called The Next 100 Years, where uh, he said that there's going to be a, um, a fragmentation in China, a weakening of Russia. Japan will emerge as a more powerful thing. Uh, Turkey will emerge, and uh, that eventually what's going to happen – is that there would be a uh, world war or a fight for world uh, world power, right? Mm-hmm. Superpower status in 2050. You can you can check out this analysis uh, online. Just check for the next 100 years. But uh, there's one other place that we haven't talked about, which we're going to probably need to save for another episode. 
Yeah, I think we should. Let's let's look at we're talking about the Middle East. If mm-hmm. you couldn't already if you didn't know that. Right. Um the place where there always seems to be some very serious conflicts going on. Yeah, one of the only positive things you can say about uh, uh affairs between countries in the Middle East is that it has not yet resulted in a world war. Thankfully, it really hasn't. It really hasn't. Well, yeah, knock on wood, right? Uh yeah. but but when we talk about the Middle East, one thing that people think about often, right, is going to be the complex relationship between countries like Israel and Saudi Arabia, uh, both of whom are against Iran, uh, the Islamic State versus everybody mm-hmm. uh, because it wants to establish itself as a country. Uh, we also cannot discount Turkey. But remember the Islamic State. That's that's something that's going to come up here um in this podcast and in our later podcast. Did you catch the video of the president, President Obama, having a slip of the tongue uh, where he said we we were training ISIL? Uh, it was just it seemed to be just a, a slip of the tongue and it was co- taken completely out of context, but it was posted all over our conspiracy and above top secret today. Hmm. Well, you know, people did definitely train with uh, U.S. instruction or U.S. funding, and then later go join uh, different militias or different oh yeah, separatist sure. Groups. I just I don't I don't see the president saying out loud on purpose that we were training ISIL. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll check it out because you know we had a lot of people writing in uh, about our ISIS video that mm-hmm. we did with uh, with similar claims. So I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out once you get out of here. We, we have to take a pause here. There, there are probably some of you guys are listening and thinking, come on, man, this is fear mongering. It is true that people are continually trying to, uh, put the, the fear of a world war in the news because those headlines sell. Uh, so we want to talk a little bit about the alarmism. People have been predicting the beginning of World War III since essentially September 3rd, 1945, the day after World War II ended. It was probably that night. It was probably that night. It was probably like 6.15. And the, it's we have to be careful when we hear people with an agenda fanning these fears of war, especially, you know who I'm about to complain about. Uh, pundits? Yeah, TV experts. experts. Yeah, professional experts. People in suits. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> here's, here's my thing. Uh, not only does it sell newspapers, does it sell, you know, get clicks online and all of that. It also helps to in like sell this notion that we need more security. No matter where you are, what country you're in, the thought of an impending global conflict will help you, will at least help you understand that we need to spend more tax dollars on whatever defense we need to spend it on, right? At least according to the people who are in charge. Right, yeah, that uh, that has definitely happened in the past. I don't know if it's a rule like across countries, across the globe, but I can clearly see the logic. It's I think, beneficial. I think it's pretty base, like uh, a base emotion of fear. Oh, yeah, that yeah. That you sell. You sell the fear that so that people are fearful and then they will, they're more willing to, mm-hmm. I don't know, let's say sacrifice the, the money they're taking in tax dollars. Uh, sacrifice some liberty for some security. Yeah. Just trade in a little more, right? One piece at a time. That's what it is. Uh, so, you know what? I think that's a good point too. Uh, so one of the things that we, we do note that there is this alarmism and it seems that currently 
while the possibility of a world war is higher, it still is pretty low for different things. We do know, however, that when the next global conflict occurs, if it occurs, it's going to be very, very different because out of these three scenarios that we touched upon, um, the Middle East, China, Russia, uh, or you know, these, these various conflicts. Out of these, uh, there, there are several commonalities that are kind of new, right? Well, the first one is that it feels as though a vast majority of this conflict, of this war, will be fought online, or at least through some type of cyber attack measures that then lead to other further conflicts. Um, also possibly, it might, some of it might take place in space, Ben. Does that sound a little crazy? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it does sound crazy. <laughs> it sounds a little crazy, but yeah. think about it. Satellites are one of the most important technologies that we have currently for communicating mm-hmm. not only uh, to one another as civilians, as just people on this planet, but communicating for militaries. Yes. Uh, in 2007, uh, the Chinese government shot down a satellite that it owned. Uh, and you can read about this as a, it was called a, a missile test, I think, but it was also a clear message to other countries. Yeah, it wasn't like, hey, we need to get rid of that satellite. Right. They didn't do it for funsies. Uh, <laughs> and, and the U.S. did not send up its unmanned, uh, spacecraft just to, I don't know, um, take a road trip. You, to, know? you know, to be fair, we can neither confirm or deny. They might have just sent it up for fun. I don't know. Oh, that's right. The missions are still classified. The X-37B, that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So those two things will be, those two things will be different. There will be new frontiers in the war. Uh, resource wars are something that we've also talked about. The idea of a war over water, uh, fears over diminishing resources, which in several cases are completely valid and in other cases are a little exaggerated, uh, may likely spark regional conflicts that later, because of alliances, lead to global conflicts. You also got trade connections. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, usually see this kind of conflict as in sanctions that are levied by one country or one group on another country. Mm -hmm. Uh, Trade is a huge factor for the U.S. specifically and China specifically Mm -hmm. and Russia. Uh, Really, any if you're a country in the world right now, trade is a huge deal Mm -hmm. because – we are such a global environment now that pretty much you can't exist if you are trying to be in so insular that you have no imports, exports. Right, right. And so this is a mitigating factor for war, but I, it's probably not enough to, while it lowers the possibility of a war, mm-hmm. it's probably not enough to absolutely rule out the possibility. There's another thing here, and this is – it's, it, this is just my opinion. This is the most troubling of the newer factors, and that is the significant influence of non-state actors in a very specific way. And we're talking about winning a terrible lottery here. This is not a very likely thing. But what do we mean by non-state actors? Well, a state actor would be the country you live in in the international sphere. Right? Sure. Uh, so the – Non-state actors would be institutions that are not necessarily a state. So, for instance, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, is an institution. Uh, the Vatican's a little bit different because it is its own – it does have its own country. So let's just say um, – let's 
the international order of generic religion or something like that. <laughs> like, some, just so, something like that. I'm saying sure, like a religious sure, sure, thing. Sure. And then there, of course, are uh, gigantic corporations. United which, Fruit Company. Right, which was the ultimate force behind the overthrow of the democratically elected government of Guatemala in 1954. Insert oil company here. Mm-hmm. And which is also the same year that Stalin gave quote-unquote, gave Crimea to uh, yes. Ukraine because it was originally Russian territory. Uh, so the the last actor here, which is one of the most dangerous, is the idea of terrorist. Here's what is different about this current situation with the advent of nuclear weapons, right? We know that it is possible for a relatively small group of people to detonate something, and once that happens, a lot of stuff flies out the window. There, there are countries that have, depending upon the circumstances, there are countries that have immediate countermeasures that go yeah. into effect. And once that happens, it's it's likely, it's very much possible that those countermeasures would trigger other countermeasures from other countries. And then there would be a war. So this, this to me is the most frightening thing. What happens if a, if a terrorist group somehow gets a hold of a nuclear weapon from a country like Pakistan, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or steals something from some other nuclear arsenal and then deploys it, right? What, what happens then? Because governments will have to react. Well, yeah. And there would be, unless, Unless an intelligence agency or some other government agency from whatever country the attack occurred was following and had already a lead and an understanding that this X group has a nuclear weapon and is determined to you know, use it, mm-hmm. you have no idea who detonated that thing. Right. 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 And, and if that's the case, that to me is the worst case scenario. Yeah, because then it could also be uh, a government pretending – yeah, that a terrorist did it, uh, and that's that's sort of uh, that's that's part of the problem because depending on where that kind of thing would go, uh, it could it could very quickly, with very little time uh, passing, become a a global conflict. So we, we've talked about some of this. We've talked about a lot about the speculation, right? And we've mm-hmm. talked a lot about the current situations, and those are kind of high level looks. But now let's look at the stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, so we know that there are all sorts of conspiratorial theories about this stuff. Uh, for instance, and this is not even a conspiracy. This is not speculation. This is just kind of true. It's just true. Some officials in various countries want war. You can read Western economists arguing that war is a solution to domestic financial woes or economic woes. Uh, and that, you know, of course, reminded you and me of uh, Smedley Butler and uh, John Perkins, the author of Confessions of an Economic Hitman, which is uh, which is a good read to check out. And if you don't biased. know, yeah, oh, a little biased, <laughs> but fascinating. And sure. if you, if you don't know who Smedley Butler is, you should by now, kids, <laughs> uh, learn about Smedley Butler. He's uh, fascinating. Just S M E D L. EY? Yes. Uh, you can find our episode on him by checking, by, uh, checking online for the business plot, yes. which was a, an alleged, quote. yeah, which was an alleged, uh, 
plot by uh, some of the elites of the U.S. to overthrow the U.S. government and replace it with a fascist regime. Yeah. Crazy story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really interesting. Okay, so another thing, just speaking of people trying to take over, uh, banking, Ah. war and banking. It's no secret that war can be massively profitable, just like we stated in the last one. But uh, do the banks perhaps have a hand in any of this? Right. And this is something that we hear often, uh, the idea that high-level investors and banking gurus know what will happen geopolitically before the average person does and even before some governments do, or that banks uh, will work to advance their interest at the cost of the common people by perhaps triggering a war, perhaps playing both sides of the conflict, something like that, manipulating the uh, manipulating the environment so as to maximize profits. So perhaps they can go in and, I don't know, start a central bank in a, let's say, a country that hasn't had one before. Right. So when uh, the rebels that overthrew uh, Gaddafi in Libya when they set up or when they when they had completed the overthrow, one of the very first things they did was set up a central bank. And for people who believe uh, these sorts of conspiracy theories, that is considered proof of you know, yes. proof of some higher involvement. However, uh, also, you know, for many countries, a central bank is a necessary thing for international trade. It seems as though it really is. Uh, I, there are only a few countries left that do not have a central banking system. Or do not have, are not part of the larger I got you. Yes. Uh, interaction, right? Uh, so this is interesting. I'd, I'd love to hear what people think about that. The other big one, of course, is the petrodollar argument. The idea that because the U.S. dollar is the de facto currency of the oil trade that when countries don't play ball or want to sell uh, oil or petro- uh, petroleum products mm-hmm. in something other than the U.S. dollar, that they get moved right to the top. Yeah, you're on our short list, list. Pal. Yeah. Well, and it might not be that way for long with the BRICS countries. Mm-hmm setting up their own currency, possibly. Right, yeah, and the BRICS countries would be Brazil, Russia, India, China. That uh, BRIC is an acronym that uh, commonly describes uh, countries that are thought to be ascendant in the world order, in general, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so this this is another thing we could do an entire episode on, but, you know, I think we've, I think we've got to go, actually... Oh, man, there's so much stuff to talk about that we didn't even get to. Yeah. Uh, we might, might have to come back to this one. I think the petrodollars is its own thing. Yeah. There I are a couple the petro- in here. ISIS, again. Mm-hmm. Petrodollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love uh, – I wish we could go back and do Smedley Butler again. But we are going to have to get out of here. We hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. We'd love to hear – what you think about the current lay of the land. Do you think a world war is likely? Do you think it's unlikely? Is it just a bunch of fear-mongering? Do you think that there is a conspiracy afoot? Oh, and let's also mention one of the more popular conspiracies in Russia is that the CIA was behind uh, instability in Ukraine. Maybe they were, Ben. I don't know, man. Well, uh, as you can imagine, there, there are a lot of conspiracy theories that are not that friendly to the U.S. in places like Russia. Oh, sure, because we kind of have a history of doing some things. Right. Yeah, and vice, vice versa. Right? right? Absolutely. Uh, so we have to go, but there is one last thing we're going to do. This episode yeah. is, is a little longer than normal. Wait. 
the hell? Do you hear that? Okay, it's not just me. No, no, okay, oh, it's not just me. Okay, good. Oh, all right, well, if we're both hearing that noise, it can only mean one thing. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a moment with Noel. Hi. Yay. Hey, how's it going, man? Is it me? Am I here? Yeah, you're here. Uh, okay, this 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 episode got kind of long for us. Well, it's a pretty big uh, big topic, and there's a lot of like uh, conceptual thought that goes into it. So you know, a lot of like weighing a lot of possibilities. So yeah. I mean, I can understand why it would be a bit uh, a bit much to to bite off. Yeah, we were a little ambitious. I I just hope uh, I hope it wasn't boring. You know? No, no, it wasn't boring. No. In fact, so. I'm sure you guys have heard of this. Have you heard of the site Godlike Productions? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, Godlike Productions. I just a friend of mine just told me about it. So I was while you were going through your stuff, just browsing I kind of was Godlike like Productions, browsing it up and seeing if there were any topics on there that I could, uh, you know, mm-hmm. talk about. But it's a little much. It's a little dense. What did you What did you find? Well, the first one that I found that that had an interesting headline was uh, "Year of the Shark." Um, mm-hmm. Let's see. Let me find it. Is it talking about Shark Week? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, so the headline for this post is "Something is Coming," and it's uh, posted by an anonymous coward. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it says, "Many may remember the Summer of the Shark." And then this quote says, The summer of the shark refers to the coverage of shark attacks by American news media in the summer of 2001. The sensationalist coverage of shark attacks began in early July following the 4th of July week weekend shark attack on 8-year-old Jesse uh, Arbogast, etc. It says, Now the media is once again in a frenzy with shark sightings. Be very careful. The sharks are being used to distract from an event. Ah, okay, I see. Kind of like a uh, diverting the news thing, yeah. which reminds me of our suppressed uh, media coverage. Yeah, we stuff. just we just did that. Yeah. Oh, uh, there's another thing that's uh, I, sh- I should say in defense of Godlike Productions. Anonymous coward is the generic no, 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 name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. it's a great idea. It, whoever it is say. funny. One time I posted on there, and then I, that's when I learned. I said, "How am I an anonymous coward?" <laughs> But yeah, the, uh, the godlike form is also one of the first places I found out about the uh, smiley face killer theory. Did you hear that one? I don't think I know that one. No. Yep. So this is a controversial one. It's the idea that there is a serial killer, a group of serial killers. They're drowning young men uh, as, uh, around the U.S. And the official story is that it, it these are alcohol-related drownings. So the, these guys who are like college age are going somewhere, they're drinking, uh, and then they're walking out and boom, they, they fall into a body of water and end up unfortunately drowning. But there is, there's an investigator who is a pro investigator who believes that this is a, a, a murderer. And, or a group, or of a group people. of murderers, uh, based on what he says is the uh, use of like a graffiti smiley yep. face in the vicinity, which is very the styles of which have varied widely. Right the, of the graffiti smiley face, but yeah, there are, there are way too many of them with the smiley face or murders or deaths. Let's say yeah, but also you know if you're looking for something, sure, you you if you so maybe expect there's a bias there, yeah. I know we're trying to keep this short, um, but have you guys been following? Have you guys been following the story about the Watcher? The Watcher, the film? No, there's this house. Oh yes, that like uh, this family sold, and then the family that bought it all of a sudden started receiving these uh, very sinister letters from someone calling themselves the Watcher. And when uh, I last read, there were only two letters, I think. 
so. Yeah, I, I've only read little bulleted kind of cut-ups of what you know the contents mm-hmm. of the letters were. But uh, the this watcher says that it's been in his family for generations, and he's like, you know, his grandfather watched it in the in the sixties, and now it's his time. And he refers to the person's children as young bloods, and Ugh. asks if they play in the basement, and Whoa. you know, refers to specific features of the house and. A lot of the uh, the comments on sites that it was on, people were like, "That sounds like the, the plot for like an episode of like, you know, Criminal Minds or something." Like sure, that. it yeah. seems like a really nice house too, yeah. at least from the pictures. So mul- multiple generations mm-hmm. of people just well, staring at a house. According to this thing, one yeah. person writing yeah. notes, yeah. And the, my favorite line though is. Uh, have they found what's in the walls yet? They will soon. It just sounds like like a teenager. Like, or, yeah, or someone with schizophrenia or something. Could who, be. I don't yeah. know. Oh, I, I see some of this. Okay. I am pleased to know your names now and the name of the young blood you have brought to me. Yes, that's the one. I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. Wow, this is this is very strange. Yeah. yeah okay. So we gotta go because I have to. Yeah, I have yeah. to read up on this. I would just say you gotta for whoever's doing that get a sniper roost with a trank gun and just sit there. Just pay somebody. Well, to apparently sit they there. never moved into the house and they're suing the people that they bought it from because they did not disclose that it came with a. Uh, it came with a stalker. Self stalker. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry. That's strange. Yeah. And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode. You can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.